Um, by the way, hold on. Before we go on, Timmy, yeah, we've got the bird song behind you. It's making me so happy. Like I'm yeah. so relaxed. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to talk anymore. I just I want know. to listen to the birds. And second, uh, I want to note that when your children are home, am I clear on this? You have to live in a basement. Like a, <laughs> like a horrible basement is where you're like stuck. And if you come out, I assume there's like a shock collar. They like poke you to make you go back into the basement. Father would like to come up. But like, I'm actually, I can't believe that there's a space in your house as nice as this porch. Literally, it's like there's like the sun's coming through the trees. It's like, oh, it really is incredible. Yeah. It's like yeah. a Disney movie. Like there's a bird on Tim's shoulder, each shoulder, just tweeting at us. Like, it's, like uh. the, it's like the wizard has freed himself from prison. It's amazing. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Discussing the best album of the year. Uh, Jeff Simons, your travels have now brought you to Annapolis. I'm in my childhood town, visiting your childhood my folks. town. Very exciting. Wow, all your uh, high school lacrosse awards are there in the background, and your, yeah. your uh, <laughs> squeeze poster. That's great, your old bedroom. Uh, ben, you're back in Knoxville. Back home once again, Timmy. Where are you in the woods? There is you like in the Tolkien forest. I yeah. am. I am back home. This is uh, Asheville, North Carolina. The traveling is over, and I currently am feeling a bit like Jeff Simons from two weeks ago, because all four children went to camp today. Go on. And nice. so now I just walk around like. Maybe I will play golf. Maybe I will give that a try. Of course, Ben Barton, I I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but this is going to be your fall, is it not? Yeah, man, we're going to be empty nesters. Holy cow. uh, Yeah, early September we'll be empty nesters. Wow. I am not dreading it at all. First, (laughs) I'm really happy that the gals are going to succeed and go off to college. There's a different version where they never leave, and that's not so good. That's Um, and then second, yeah, I'm going to dig having the, I mean, I'll miss them dearly, but, but I'm going to dig having the free time for sure. You've got like a little salt and pepper beard going, maybe yeah. a little salt and pepper. Yeah. Maybe I'll grow that in, you know what yeah. I mean? Because really... a drinking habit, you know, there's so many things that you could do. <laughs> there are so many things. I really have enjoyed the facial hair that I put on. Like I, this is all I can do and I can barely, I can barely make it work, but it, I've really... I'm really enjoying it. I encourage you to grow it out and see what happens. I, I, it's it's amazing um, how pathetic we are at this stage in our lives. The things we're looking forward to, huh? Maybe I'll eat cheese dip and watch yeah. YouTube videos. <laughs> right. You know, like this is it. All right. Well, this is fifty years of music with fifty-year-old white guys on the Drive-In Podcast Network. Check us out at MusicCityDriveIn.com. Uh, And please, if you have the opportunity to give us a review or subscribe to our podcast, uh, do it. Because right now the reviews are a wee bit stale. Uh, Have you seen the latest one? I like this this podcast. They really bring up interesting topics. That's true. What are you talking about? (laughs) That's 
that's good. I that's, do not. That's funny though. I do not think that person listened to our podcast. Uh, it's an accurate description, but you're right. It, it basically you're just like a teacher at heart, Tim. You're like this fulfills the minimum requirement of review. Right. I want to see something. Like I want some language that pops. Let leave. Anybody go. who's willing to listen to this stupid thing and then actually go right. on and write is a is a hero and a saint. That sounds prove, like an amazing comment. To prove me. prove to me you read the book. That's what I want. Um, oh, by the way, right. hold on. Before we go on, Timmy. Yeah. We've got the bird song behind you. It's making me so happy. Like, yeah. I'm so relaxed. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to talk anymore. I just I want know. to listen to the birds. And second, right. I want to note that when your children are home, am I clear on this? You have to live in a basement. Like a, <laughs> like a horrible basement is where you're, like, stuck. And if you come out, I assume there's, like, a shock collar. They, like, poke you to make you go back into the basement. Father would like to come up. But like, I'm actually, I can't believe that there's a space in your house as nice as this porch. Literally, it's like, there's like the sun's coming through the trees. It's like, oh, it really is incredible. Yeah. It's like yeah. a Disney movie. Like there's a bird on Tim's shoulder, each shoulder, just tweeting at us. Like, it's, like uh, the, it's like the wizard has freed himself from prison. It's amazing. Oh, I'm going to miss those little guys. Don't let, me don't let the children know that you left the basement, Tim. When they come back, the punishment will be swift and severe. It's going to be like Shawshank, another two months in the hole for you, my friend. That's right. We're going to have to record an alternate version for you to play for your kids. Like, no, I stayed in the basement, All I right. promise. All right, enough. Let's get kids to Kids will the... be like, am I still being obtuse? Give them another month. Grammy <laughs> winner, 1972. Hit us up, Jeff Simons. It's the Grammy winner. The Concert for Bangladesh by George Harrison and Friends. Enough of that. Oh, who is that? That's Ringo Starr. What did I send you? Live at a concert for Bangladesh. This the most ridiculous Grammy winner we've had yet. Uh, Good lord! But, that's first of all, in comparison to Song of the Year, that doesn't touch how bad the Song of the Years are. Okay, fair. That being said, uh, that sounds awful yeah the, the really the production sound. sound it's a bad sounding record it's been remastered three or four times and it's still pretty muddy and it's a sloppy jam and uh it's charming in the moment because it's the first big benefit record and there are beatles involved but uh there's just no way i mean i'm a pretty huge fan of this moment in music i've right. never owned this record and i've tried to listen to it and it's a sloppy jam record and like it's charming once to hear Ringo sing live on stage, but it's, I mean, it does not bear repeated listenings by any stretch. Instrumentation, the, it sounds like there's two different organs going at the same time. Yeah, well, yeah, they're, they're all like on stage. Drowning out to... everything else. They're just jamming. Yeah. Jam band. Well, good for the Grammys to try and support Bangladesh in their time of need. I'm sure the Grammy Award helped sales, right? I'm sure it did. But it, yeah. I mean, it's a bizarre selection. It's not a great collection of songs, which nope, you would right. assume the album of the year would be. And it's a terrible production, which you would certainly hope the album of the year would be. You know what I mean? Like, it's unclear what exactly they're celebrating here. 
I th- and it's a little self-congratulatory, right? I mean, it's okay. one of those Grammy yeah. Awards, like, aren't, isn't the entertainment industry wonderful and probably the real stars of the humanitarian show, is, not just it, the show? Is you know, this like, the first big benefit by musicians? Yeah, it gets that credit. For sure. Okay. I don't know if it, I mean, like I, I'm sure there were benefits before, right? But it sounds but, uh, like this is the first kind of let's yeah. call, you know, arms. like it all, it was all yeah. a disaster too. Like the food just rotted on the docks because the government didn't allow it in for humanitarian aid. It was an all giant colossal failure. Oh no. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, that's like it doesn't bad. have a happy ending. All right. So. Well, let's move on. Uh, here's a, here's a happy moment for us. The return of the impossible question. Oh, somebody had some free time, baby. Yeah, that's right. It's just about who died. That's (laughs) That's coming. Don't worry. I'm not getting rid of the new segment. The impossible question, you know, we've done all the history uh, for 1972 in the first season. So now I'm just on Wikipedia, like finding little nuggets of of, interest. Here's the one that killed me for 1972. Queen Margaret II of Denmark ascends to the throne she is the first monarch not named blank or blank since 1513 sorry the first uh monarch in denmark yeah the first uh, leader of denmark not named blank or blank since 1513 they've gone 250 plus years or so with two names oh my god back and forth leading the country and here comes Margaret the second. What are the two names? Uh, you both get one guess. Right, I have go, come on, go Denmark. Olaf. Olaf is a terrific guess. I think that that's more Scandinavian. No, no Olaf. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> I know I can't even come up with a Danish name. I'm the worst. Did, wait, didn't Ca- you watch Casper? Casper. Didn't you, didn't you watch Denmark in Casper. the uh, in the Euros? Oh yeah, Christian. I'll say Christian. There you go. Christian is one. Okay. Frederick is the other. Oh, like look, just God, fun back facts. and forth between those two names for for five hundred years. No, two hundred fifty years. Oh right? my God, that's unbelievable. Oh, uh, it's so fun. No, I can't do math. It is four hundred. Anyways, Japanese soldier Sorchi Yokai is discovered in Guam having spent 28 years in the jungle. This is a Japanese World War II soldier who never came out of the jungle. Because he thought the war was still going on? Well, he thought the war was going on and then just kind of um, lived off the land. 28 years. Once you get in a groove, man, you know, why change it up? How long could you guys survive in the jungles of Guam? Seven days. (laughs) Seven days is really aggressive. First well, all, I wouldn't I move. I'm saying if I didn't move <laughs> and made no decisions, I could probably make it seven days before I died of dehydration. But if I actually took matters into my own hands, 11 to survive? hours. Okay. Yeah. I would be, lo- I'm definitely under seven days because I would get dysentery ASAP. Right. <laughs> I get dysentery. I've been to, anytime I go to Mexico or I get dysentery, like bang, like I'm off huh. the plane in the bathroom. <laughs> And so that would not work in the jungles of Guam, believe me. Oh, no, yeah. By the way, That's that trouble. reminds me of a, a tidbit from this week. I was visiting- Oh, uh, this is great, thanks. That, the diarrhea story, yeah. oh, that reminds me. Well, it's not diarrhea, story. but I was, on a, I was on a college trip with the boy this week, and uh, uh-huh. we had lunch in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then I got immediate 
uh, food poisoning and puked oh, no. twice during the tour of the college. So like, <laughs> I'm like listening and she's showing us buildings. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to vomit in the next 25 seconds. So I'm like, hey, is there a bathroom uh, I can use? And of course it's COVID. She's like, well, you're not yeah, supposed to go in this building. Yeah. I was like, do you want me to throw up in this outdoor <laughs> trash can or in private? She's like, oh, and then she opened a building and I did like the quick walk of the desperate. Your son, must have, your son must have been psyched. Tour. Yeah, thanks dad. Guess I'm not going there. <laughs> Actually, it was good. She handled it really well. And, and uh, we were making jokes about it by the end. She was like, I was like, what's something we should take away from the school? It's like, well, we have a lot of nice bathrooms. I'm like, yeah, it's a good <laughs> answer. I like that. That's good. All right, you got the uh, last draft lottery for Vietnam in 1972. I, I, I can't imagine. Imagine like you've got your number and you have to tune into the TV to find out if you're going to Vietnam. That is unbelievable. Um, what do you think the chances are that we would institute a draft again? I think that America to, would that America would yeah. uh, support that idea generally. I think it would have to be Martians. Interesting. I think it would have to be extraterrestrial from threat. space. Yes. And then everybody would be like, okay, we're on board. I don't yeah, like, I, I hate to be dark about it. I mean, we could, if we went to war with China, that would be, I mean, that's a possibility. The other good news is though, that we're working <laughs> on those robots, man. We're, we're 10 yeah. to 15 to 20 years away from being humans, just being there to oil up the robots. So, <laughs> Let's get that going. Boston <laughs> Dynamics. Of, attack of the clones. Yeah. Uh, all right. Before we get to our number one hit. Well, actually, no, let's do the number one hit first. Because the, the invitation to cynicism, the return. Of Back the again. To cynicism, Tim, I like a real throwback. It's, like uh, it. it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one today. So let's go to the uh, number one selling album. I'm really interested in what you guys think of this uh, from 1972. Hit it, Jeff. It's the number one album. Harvest by Neil Young. This is this is Neil Young when the two of you are on board with Neil Young, correct? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And when does he lose you? What album is it where you're you're off the Neil Young train? Like completely off? Probably around 2000. Oh, he stopped wow. making records where I'm like, I can't find anything to like on this. Okay. But like there, there are a bunch of records where it's one or two songs. Uh, but there, you know, there's there's the occasional like, oh, I still like that up okay. through like 98, I think for me. Wow. Ben, did you go that long? 
I keep getting yoked in when the new records come out. I buy them and, and try and, and try and work my way through them. But okay. the honest answer is trans. That was the album that, that you don't like that. freedom. I do really like freedom. And that brought that hooks me back in. But okay. trans was the record where I was like, I may never buy another record. Yeah, that record. I mean, it's records <laughs> in the 80s are really bad. And then, and then freedom, he has like and then, a little renaissance again. Yeah, right. And then what, there's a is there something what's the what's the record after freedom that's a harvest like ragged glory is pretty good okay. but it, then he does harvest moon which I, is not that great yeah but that's okay oh, i mean that wasn't yeah, bad enough where i was just bone crushed by it um, no. but then he eventually bone crushed it yeah yeah there's a bunch of records in the 2000s that are like strangely bad like like you wonder if he was paying attention to the final mix bad yeah and so, it, it, for me it's like sorry tim for me it's like uh there's different categories of classic rock acts. There's classic yeah. rock acts that I can, I, I'm still happy to listen to. And my, the album that I'm choosing this year is an album that I listen to on the regular. Okay. Um, then there's the classic rock acts where I'm not, I would never choose to listen to them. But when I hear it, I'm like, oh, there you go. I'm not minding that. <laughs> and then there's the category that I'm so worn out on or mad at where I just never listen to it. And Neil Young is solidly in that category. Oh. I would skip Neil Young. Um, I actually oh, couldn't wow. even, I was like, I don't even remember what record this is. Uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm out on Neil. So, so what about when we were just playing that song? Uh, did you have a visceral reaction to Neil Young's voice or anything? No, but I was like, oh, uh, I don't like this. Oh, that's wow. interesting. I, my Needle problem the with this done. Is it Needle in the Damage yeah. done on this record? That song I, is great. And that would have been my choice from this record. I could still listen to that one, but this one, no. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Old Man is from this record, which I still like, too. Yeah. Old Man is good. This well, is not my favorite Neil Young record, Tim. Okay. I, the one before this is my favorite Neil Young record. It's called After the Gold Rush from 1971. Yeah, I think that one. record holds up. It's still beautiful. I would still happily listen to it. But this is a situation where, like, the, the this record was the big hit, but it's, it's actually a pretty light record, I think, compared to what... I mean, he did Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere... And after the gold rush back to back, two of his best records, they didn't sell particularly well. And then Heart of Gold was a top five hit and it propelled him into fame. Uh, and then he went back to making more interesting music after that. Like Tonight's the Night is a better record than this. I think Zuma and uh, On the Beach are better records than this. And this record's got a couple of unacceptable, super sexist crappy songs at harvest the title song a man needs a maid is really embarrassing Ooh. like it's a oh, really that's... embarrassing like late 20s year old like why don't groupies love me more than they already do song oh, it's God. really not great okay. um so it's really uneven and i can't listen to this song anymore i gotta do a shout out i have a, a musician friend named aj here in the bay area huh. we did a night uh we did like a, a Halloween night where we all pretended to be different artists. And his Neil Young Im imitation is so unbelievably good. And he did Heart of Gold. But I cannot hear the song without hearing AJ doing Neil Young, doing Heart of Gold. Like, <laughs> That's just, great. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got another uh, song for our fathers and sons. Uh, so we got Cat Stevens. We've got Cats in the Cradle. We've got the um, 
gosh, what, I can't, can't remember the late '90s band. Yeah, Father of Mine. Never Father of Mine. Now, Old Man from Neil Young. Can that get in on? No, that? it's not a no. father and son. It's about son the caretaker on his uh, farm. Ah, uh, well, uh, what about Weezer? Uh, like father, stepfather, the son is. What's that song? I don't know. Oh, I know that one for sure. Just give me a second; it'll come to me. There's also Sorry, no bye. son of mine by Genesis. We can throw into the mix. That's oh, a... God, Mike and the Mechanics and Genesis. They're back. They're back. They All right. looked me straight in the <laughs> eye. That All right, powerful. moving on. Um, other uh, sorry, other history tidbits. It was uh, just a couple of days after Sunday, Bloody Sunday. That's where 14 marchers are killed by the British Army in Derry, Northern Ireland. Two days later, where the British embassy in Dublin was burned down, which I didn't know about. I knew about wow. Sunday, Bloody Sunday. They burned down the, London, the England embassy. That's take some guts. We also have the sculpted figures of Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Stonewall Jackson. Uh, those figures are finally completed in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Uh, uh, a park purchased by the state of Georgia which opens on April 14th, 1965. That's the kind of um, Confederate equivalent of the Crazy Horse Monument in South Dakota, right? Where they just it turn is. an entire mountain. Oh, yeah, totally. It, it's like Confederate yeah. Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. And, and I don't think it's an accident they opened it on the 100-year anniversary of Lincoln's assassination. I don't oh, think my that's, God. I don't that's think that's a coinkydink right there. Oh, man, that's um, but you let's have to get... celebrate your heritage, Timmy. <laughs> let's get to the invitation to citizenship. Oh, that's not, that's not the invitation that to citizenship? That is not. Sorry. Jeez. Oh, Go Jimmy, ahead, it's, man. It's Say It Ain't So. That's the name of the song. Oh, yes. right. Say it. So, thank you very much. All right. Invitation to cynicism. In 1972, the Moody Blues, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, Yes, Jethro Tull, and Deep Purple all put out albums. Um, as a person who is not as musically invested as the two of you, I have trouble distinguishing these five bands from one another. If I hear one of the songs on the radio, I'll just turn it. But I don't know if I'm turning Yes or Deep Purple or the Moody Blues. I have no idea. Um, I'm going to let you keep one of those bands and convince me that I should give them a listen which of those five bands would you choose? Well, that's easy. I'll let Jeff go. Oh, it's for me. It's yes, and it's not even close. Like Ben, uh, is it yes for you yeah. as well? Oh, I, mean, I don't like yes, but yes is the only acceptable <laughs> answer yeah. on that list. Yeah, I okay. really dislike the Moody Blues. Um, there's a couple of Deep Purple songs that are fun. Disagree. No. <laughs> And, Deep Purple uh, sucks. They suck. Mostly Deep Purple sucks. I agree with you. But okay. their song Hush by Deep Purple is great. Sucks. No <laughs> there's way. Some, there's spillage. There's toxic waste from the rest of the material. Hold on. This song is good. Oh, oh God. This is Deep Purple. That's a good song. But it's Hush. the one really, really good Deep Purple song. It's up-tempo. Okay. Uh, but I'm not going to argue like I'm with the I mean, I'm all in for trashing Deep Purple. Jethro Tull is funny. Um, there's something really <laughs> funny about the, the flute solos. Like I made, and the fact that he does the flute solo standing on one foot. is just like there's like everybody needs like 
to watch him play for 90 okay. seconds before they die, but that's all you need. But I actually like Yes. There are three Yes records that I like, and two of them came out in 1972. Um, I like them more than Ben, and uh, I actually think they're engaging to listen to. They're also ridiculous. Like, I fully okay. acknowledge that they are partially absurd. Is this called they're... prog rock? Is this what this yeah, is? Yeah, progressive rock. Yeah, it's the early stages of that. But Yes is also... They're trying to write hits as at the same time that they have these ridiculous nine and 10 minute songs. They also have like little two and three minute singles. Okay. So, uh, they're love, but like, yes, can really play. And unlike those other bands that are trying to sound like orchestras, like they're trying to be like symphonic rock. Yes. Just wants to be a really complicated rock band. And so if you're like a, if you're willing to like get into the fact that they're all really good players and playing complicated stuff. They okay. occasionally pull off. Here's like 30 seconds of a ridiculous yes song that I actually think is fun to listen to. So here we go. This is from an album this released this year. So is there like one guy who was in each of these bands? Like, how, how is it that I confused them all together? No, there's no overlap. But like, I get that. I get that. No that's a overlap. really funny list wow. you've, you've created of like uh, music that's aged badly. It's like the music that's really <laughs> aged badly list. It's, they're well chosen. Well, but I feel bad, right? Because if we still have um, uh, holdovers from the, the Instalanche, you know, this is this might just be their jam, and so I apologize to those. No, no, but Jeff's Jeff's here here for a yes in a big way. Um, I can recommend Jeff and I had this argument about yes, and he was like, I was like, send me your top twenty yes songs, and I oh, carefully God. listened through them. Um, and so here's what I can say about it. Did I come up with twenty? I think I said ten. <laughs> I don't think there's twenty yes. Songs. Maybe it was ten then. That's yeah. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> On the like, so first of all, the, the, the famous ones that got played on the radio are, are pretty good. Some part, basic, any song that's gonna, or not any song, most songs that are 12 minutes long and have four parts have at least one part that sucks. <laughs> okay. Um, and so that's a problem. That's fair. Um, yeah. They, they, the guitarist is great. The bassist is great. The drummer, I mean, I let the drummer's fine. I'm not blown away by the drummer. Yeah. Um, I, I really, really, really don't care for that keyboard sound. And I don't care for how up in front they place the keyboards yeah. within the instrumentation. It just really bugs me. And that's the Emerson, Lake, and Palmer thing it, to the nines. Like Emerson, Lake, right. and Palmer is a keyboard band. Like if you just want to drive me freaking nuts, put on <laughs> Carnival number nine. Oh, man. And that, that gets played on the radio or it get, got played on classic rock radio. And I think that's the worst song by any of these bands it's the most annoying most hideously annoying well, I think the worst number song nine of all these that's bands. the welcome back my friends to the show that never ends oh, yeah. come inside come inside come inside um, and i'm like yeah. no i don't want to come inside yeah, they call it carnival it's an evil carnival <laughs> Get away. don't want to come inside even worse Stay than away. that is emerson lake and palmer's 20 minute rock opera about a armed armadillo from the future called okay. carcass like this is this is a real thing. It's a it's a 
keyboard, bass, and drums to, to what rock end? opera I about mean... a armadillo from the future that's also a tank that comes. <laughs> and I mean, it really is like it will be playing in hell and during Ben's purgatory. And if, listen how it starts. It's the most ridiculous recording in, in rock history. I think it has like a stupid beginning, but yeah, it takes, it takes a minute. Ready for this? like chase music from a really bad science fiction movie where they had like eight dollars you know and they're, and they're presenting themselves to, to their audience would make an argument for them saying no 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 these guys are super intellectual super talented yeah that's my that's favorite part of this is it's broken into eight parts and the last oh. part is called aquatarchus when it learns okay. how to swim right, this stop. is a real thing i'm not making stop. this up. <laughs> Stuff. So okay. 1972 is a year that I feature sometimes in my torts class because we have a case that's about the Winter Brothers. In 1972, the instrumental Frankenstein, the oh. five minute, 42 second instrumental Frankenstein goes to number one on the pop charts. It spends yeah. a week as the biggest hit in America. And when and like it's, Unlistenable. Ready? And also, I mean, and and uh, it's on this. Yeah. I love that song. Here's it's you're on crazy. The, it, is it slow ride or free ride? It's free yeah. ride. It's on. It's on the same album as Free Ride, which is a, a Doobie Brothers ripoff song. But it's fine. Yeah. Like that's yeah. a song that you're like, oh, I could imagine a person on an AM radio being like, oh yes, I will stay to listen yeah. to it. Who is listening to Frankenstein? Amazing. Or these horrible ELP songs? This is how bad the drugs were. Like they must have <laughs> yeah, right? drugs right? all day, every day to put oh, up with man. this crap. Like, how is it even possible? <sighs> and that's... it's also when everybody was still taking music lessons, though. It's interesting, right? Like people cared that you could play in weird time signatures and play really fast because everybody was still taking music lessons in elementary school. So they knew how hard it was to do. And now that nobody takes music lessons anymore, they don't care if you play fast or slow. They just care whether it's good. And, and I can see the pros and cons to both of those. But like, this is the era when going, everybody's like, well, I tried to do that and I can't. And so I'm impressed. And now nobody even knows what the hell the difference is between that and a computer doing it. Not at all. Well, the drugs is a pretty good explanation. And the drugs is probably. All right, our three albums. Our three albums. Let's do this. Uh, Jeff Simons, you went first last week. I sure did. With Blue. So, Ben, you have to go first this week. What is the best album of 1972? I predict that this will not be the case every year. I don't think every year we're going to pick an album that that would be a mainstream album of the year. But um, I'm going to continue the streak because Blue is, an, is a mainstream album of the year for the year before that. And then the Clapton one is for the year before that. What did we have for 69, Jeff? Did you choose something that was? 
I chose Sly and the Family Stone's stand, I believe. That might that would be on some top ten list for sixty totally. for sure. This the one that I'm going to choose is in my opinion is the best album of seventy two. It's one of the best albums of the seventies. It's the best Rolling Stones record. It's Exile on Main Street. So um, when you start loving the Stones when you're thirteen or fourteen, the first thing you do, unless maybe Jeff didn't do this, but the first thing you do is you get hot rocks. That's what you do is you get a double album greatest hits record that runs from the 60s through 71. When you buy this, you don't realize that the last record on its sticky fingers is the end of a record contract and that Exile is the next record contract. So then when you're lazy, you're like, oh, I could buy all these records. But then actually it's a little bit of a weird thing because all of the Stones records in the 60s are weird. There's these British versions of them. There are American versions of them. It's not until basically until you get to Satanic Majesty where the, out, the versions are the same. So it's confusing when you're a kid, like you're looking through this, the, the R part, the Rolling Stones, and there's all these different overlapping records from the 60s. And you've got the greatest hits record. So you're, you're like, you know what I want to do? I'm going to buy more Hot Rocks, which is another greatest hits record <laughs> from the same recording contract that includes three or four songs from exile because exile is a double album and it's got some spillover from the sticky fingers tracks and so there's this like weird lawsuit that happens when the record comes out so those appear on it but there's no great or obvious when you're 14 in the 80s there's no obvious greatest hits record for the next period so you never get tumbling dice and Exile sits on the outside of when they're the, the, all of the biggest, hugest hits that get played on the radio are, is on. And you actually, except for Tumbling Dice, you just almost never hear, it may be happy, you never hear anything from Exile on the radio. So you start doing the exercise. So now I'm buying all of the albums and I'm going back through it and I'm getting to it. And Exile is like one of the four or five first records you get. Everyone tells you it's the best Stones record. It's really inaccessible. Like it's a double album. It's super weird. There's a bunch of throwaway songs on it. It's recorded in a strange way. Um, and so it takes a while. Like on first listen through Sticky Fingers, Beggy Banquet, Beggar's Banquet, or Let It Bleed, you're like, oh, this is the greatest $6 I've ever spent on vinyl. I'm just, I can't, I just, I put it on repeat so the little arm can lift up and go back and I can't wait for it to go back. I just want to hear Give Me Shelter again. Like, when am I going to hear it again? Oh, here it is. I hear it again. Exile does not present in that fashion whatsoever. It's a challenging listen. Um, it's a weird record. There's long songs, there's short songs, there's gospel songs, there's country songs, there's blues songs, there's rock songs, there's songs where uh, Keith sings. It takes a while to dig into it. It is, and I'm gonna, a couple of the albums that I'm going to choose are of this nature. It's the last favorite Stones album. It's the Stones album where you've reached your peak Stones phase and you're like, wow, I, I, I kind of get it now. Like, this heart is not a greatest hit. I mean, like, Let It Bleed is a greatest hits record. There's eight songs on that that you hear on the radio all of the time. Beggars is a little bit more mixed, but again, there's, there's you know, four or five songs that, you, that are just huge, massive radio hits. So what is it about Exile? So it comes at a really weird point in their careers. Um, Keith is like falling deeply into heroin addiction. Uh, they are facing tax evasion from England. They are literally in exile. They all moved to France because they're gonna see, they've seized a bunch of their assets in the UK. They're gonna be arrested the next time they go to the UK. And it's just this classic thing with these poor kids, like these idiot kids, like 
they asked their management, are you paying our taxes? And the management was like, yes. And then they weren't like that's yeah. seven years of back taxes. Oh, so they're, they're living in France. They're, um, Keith has rented a villa in the South of France near Nice. It's beautiful. And they don't have a studio in the South of France. And if you, they were mature musicians, they would be like, well, we should live in Paris or Berlin or someplace where there's a studio, but nope. They just hang out in Nice recording in his basement and they've got a mobile truck next to it. They roll in at 8 p.m. and they record till 8 a.m. every night for months on end. And Keith's a heroin addict and Mick Taylor's getting super into drugs. Bill Wyman's clean. Mick is clean, but Mick lives in Paris with his wife and then is soon to be, I think she's pregnant or maybe she's got their first kid. And so he's like at a different, totally different phase of his life. So he's in and out. That's why Happy's just got Keith on it because Mick was just took that week off. And so Keith just went ahead and recorded it himself. It's a rotating group of amazing session musicians are coming in. Um, Billy Preston's the piano player on this record and the, all of his work is fantastic. Um, they got a beautiful horn section. Anyhow, like the record's a mess in the recording of it. They're in a terrible headspace. They've got outtakes from previous albums that they just jam onto it. They take all of the raw material, Mick takes it to LA and then cuts out the whole rest of the band, brings in a bunch of guys to do overdubs on it. He basically produces it and he puts it out. He, it's like one of his least favorite Stones records. There's half of the record they've never played live. Mick is, and I mean, just like one thing to know about Mick is he's the business guy. He's always the one who wanted to make money. He's like, his description of the record is like, well, there just weren't very many hits on it. Very disappointing, but it's yeah. just hilarious that that would be his take on their greatest artistic achievement. Here's the thing that's weird about it. Um, oh, and so another record that's a little bit like this is Tattoo You, where they collect some new songs and some old songs. They just jam it all together and it's got a fast side and a slow side. Weirdly, those are two of my favorite Stones records. And this record in particular, Exile, somehow, despite this total disparate, weird story of it, is a very unified work of art. Like, it sounds totally connected to each other. It's exploring a similar headspace from the first song to the last song. Each one kind of interconnects. Um, there are other great double albums. You know, basically, the White Album announces the great rock double album. And this is a weird one because it's both like the White Album where it's like this shambolic collection of weird stuff. But to, in my opinion, different than the White Album, it actually is a unified whole. Like mm -hmm. this record has, is chewing over material. It's got a think space that it's driving through you. And in particular, it's this continued exploration that starts basically with Beggars where the stones are digging through very different parts of the American canon, especially country, gospel, and the deeper blues. Um, and here's where they really, really bring it together. The, the gospel stuff, Mick goes to see Aretha Franklin recording the great, what's the name of the great gospel record, Jeff? Amazing Grace. He goes to see the live recording of Amazing Grace and he's like, holy crap. And that's where Soul Survivor and the, the singing on, on Tumbling Dice and then especially Shine a Light comes from. So there's like a whole gospel aspect to the record. I love this one. It remains my favorite Stones record. There's this group of guys I play poker with and it's a disparate group of people where you have to bring together disparate songs. And I play one or two tracks from this record on rotation every single time we play. 
Nobody complains about it. Everybody loves it. Even the guys who are completely worn out in classic rock or the people who only want to hear classic rock. This one always rides. I love it. I listen to it on the regular. Shine a light, Jeff. Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones. So you stretched out in room 1009 with a smile on your face and a tear in your eye. Oh, come see the Carolina on you. My sweet honey love. Over to it, jangling down the street. Thank you for your ride, every woman that you meet. I'm afraid of the Stones lawyers. So no, gonna... for sure. But I mean, the way the guitar comes in and the organ on top of the piano and the, the mix singing is just like peak of his powers, like the emotion in it. Yeah. I absolutely love this one. Yep. Right. Yeah, I got nothing but uh, agreement here. This is, yeah. uh, I think there are days when I like either Let It Bleed or Sticky Fingers a tiny bit more. It's a three-way tie for first uh, for me between those three records. I love Exile. <laughs> I think of, I want to throw an idea by Ben, like more than any other band in rock and roll history, the Stones are in orbit as much as they are a band. Like the Stones are a traveling universe with their own gravitational pull and people get pulled in and out of it. And most of them can't handle it. Like Graham Parsons gets pulled into the Stones orbit. He introduces this kind of Americana country rock and it kills him. And Bobby, oh, he, he's it, at the recording in France and they had boot him. Yeah. <laughs> Basically remove him yeah. from the property because he's so drunk and, and high. He's such a pain in the ass. Wow. But I mean, he gets it turned on to, to drugs by Keith, but he doesn't have the constitution to survive it. Like, you know, Mick Taylor joins the Stones and almost kills him. Like it kills Brian Jones. Like it, you know, it ruins Bobby Keys's life for a long time. And like, even like people we don't even know, like I feel like the Stones are like and that's what rock exile is it's like every it's not just the stones it's everything that got pulled into the stones orbit it's americana it's country it's living in exile it's heroin bought in the marseille like black market it's yeah. it's both european and american and it's it's american black music and like this weird kind of sophisticated uh white european music and it's it's instrumentation from different places and the stones just put it into a meat grinder and it's, and then it comes out as this thing that is greater than the individual pieces that it is. And that's not true of any other rock band, like, or any other longstanding collective of musicians. Like the stones aren't just the stones. Like sometimes the stones are just mix stealing all the stuff and taking it to LA. And sometimes it's just Keith <laughs> and sometimes it's all five of them. And sometimes it's the five of them and all of their, two or three current hangers on like <laughs> making something together. And that's what makes exile such a, an over and over and over again, amazing. Listen, you know, my son is just starting to get into record collecting. We were uh -huh. at the rock and roll hall of fame two days ago 
We went to the vinyl section, and what is the one record he bought as his souvenir for the trip? Exile. Exile. Oh, yeah. A brand new remastered 180 gram heavy vinyl copy of the record is sitting right right next to me that my son just bought. And it's the one oh, he wants so to fun. like dig into. Right. Um, I also think it's the I mean, you I love Shine a Light, but I think everything you need to know about this record is in the first track. Rock song. Oh, yeah. I mean, so it good. is just like I'm going to play if it's all right, I'll play the first minute of it. It's yeah, a complete hot mess. And the thing to listen to is uh, Charlie Watts's performance. Charlie Watts has no idea what's going on. He's just playing a beat. And if you listen, he thinks the chorus is coming and he plays this like, and it's not the chorus. So he does it again <laughs> and it's still not the chorus. And then when the chorus comes in, he doesn't cue it because he has no, he's like, what are we doing? And that's the take. That's the take. Like you would never get away with a track this sloppy now. Like, but it's part of what makes this record so unbelievable. Oh, dude. Great. And also it's the best song about a wet dream. Oh, Without question, better than um, I Touch Myself, better than Pictures of Lily, better than St. Swithin's Day by Billy Bragg. I mean, there's a lot of great songs about wet dreams, but this is the killer. So Charlie's like, let's start here. But here's the change. Maybe things are going somewhere else. Who's here? That's not it. I love great this record. Stuff. Great choice. Man. Awesome. I will give that a listen. Uh, I've never heard the album before, but I've no, heard Timmy. No, I've heard, I've heard a number of songs. Um, but hey, I had never heard Blue before, but I've been listening to it all week. You guys I know, are, but this is a this is a like top ten Rolling Stones greatest albums of all time. Like this is a, a this is one where I've never. I've never owned a Rolling Stones album. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How are you running a music podcast? <laughs> very, amazing. very carefully. Jeff Simons, let's go to you, 1972. All right, so remember that the, the conceit for me is that I can't pick a band we've talked oh, about before. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm cheating a little bit because Yay. we talked about this our artist when we did the Dream Concert weekend, when we did okay. that crossover podcast. Right, right. Um, so this this is an artist, I've, but we didn't talk about it in the in the collective. I thought okay. about picking a Yes album just to make Ben's head melt and explode, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but I couldn't have picked a record more different than Exile. Exile is a double record. This record is 27 minutes long, making it even shorter than Nashville Skyline, which clocks in at under half an hour as well. Thank um, you. It is uh, one man and one instrument with no overdubs. So uh, it's very different than the wild shambolic uh, free for all that is exile. Um, but it is uh, a startlingly moving record from 1972. And I picked it because I'm trying Tim to help uh, not be just a jerk about the difference between Cat Stevens, uh, uh, which 
it sounds like this record, I think, and to somebody who's just like, what, what could you possibly love about this? And then be so irritated by something that is so similar. So this is Nick Drake. And this is his last record before he commits suicide. This is a record called Pink Moon. Um, Nick Drake is part of a folk singer movement in London or in England that begins with a band called Fairport Convention. Fairport Convention was kind of a folk rock collective uh, that involves Richard Thompson, whose name's going to come up later uh, in our little series, uh, and Sandy Denny, who's the background vocalist on Led Zeppelin IV's The Ballad of Evermore. Um, that group of musicians goes on to be in a million different folk rock bands, but the, basically they take these 16th and 17th century English ballads and turn them into rock performances. Um, and it's instantly pretty popular. They have... they. They break really big in England. It doesn't cross over to an American audience really at all. But Nick Drake gets a solo deal and he makes a series of uh, very different records. He makes, uh, I think I should have done my research, but basically Nick Drake makes three albums in his lifetime. And then there's a fourth album of outtakes that gets released. And they've been re and re and re, re, re released. Um, but Nick Drake is a classic cult artist. He's one of those guys he was out of print almost instantly. Uh, he's signed to Island Records, but they don't put any money behind him. Uh, they're busy pushing other artists. Um, and until CDs uh, start uh, reintroducing catalog to mainstream record stores, it's really hard to find a Nick Drake record. But he makes a record called Five Leaves Less, which has tons of orchestrations. Uh, he makes a record called Brighter Later, which has kind of a folk rock combo sound. Uh, and then there's nothing, there's nothing. And then this record comes out uh, and it is just solo guitar and voice. Um, Nick Drake is mentally ill. He's uh, depression and schizophrenia. And this is a record of a guy trying to hold it together and not kind of succeeding. Um, but it's not a record about illness. It's about, it's a record that's trying to find beauty in things in order to uh, soothe that mental illness. It is a heartbreakingly gorgeous record. Um, and I would say that the main difference between it and records that bug me is this is a record about love and nature and beauty and connection, but uh, elliptically so, right? I would say that the difference between this record and the records that I've been giving a hard time is you have to sit with this record a little bit to, to find out what it's about, right? It's not overt, it's covert. Like this is a record that, that asks you to lean into the speaker and, uh, and find, find out what it's about. Whereas I feel like Cat Stevens is like right in your face, like this is a record about kids and parents. This is a record about why the world needs to be taken care of. This is, you know, and so, um, I have, I think, well, it's, um, it's not a real train. It's a peace train. It's a metaphor is what's happening. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And you're in a hole man, <laughs> and you're just, you're bringing in the backhoe and you're just digging <laughs> hydraulically. No, I'm excited so think about, about this. No, like, think about the song peace train, right? With those yeah. big background vocals yeah. and like, there are all these cues, like here comes the important moment. Everybody get on. This yeah. record is so unassuming. It's also, um, it's a remarkable acoustic guitar performance. There are very few records that make me like scurry to 
my guitar and start to try to figure out like the right. first time I heard this flight tonight, I spent two hours figuring out the tunings. And the first time I heard pink moon, all the, the record pink moon all the way through, I spent the next day, I spent like six hours with my guitar, figuring out all these different tunings to figure out how to play these songs. Cause I was desperate to recreate the sound. So I'm going to play not the most famous song from this record. Um, although it is a song that's been covered by a bunch of other artists, but this is a song in drop C tuning, meaning that the low E string has been tuned down to low C. Um, it actually sounds very difficult to play, but one of the charms of this record is once you figure out the tunings, you can be a pretty rudimentary guitarist and play it. But that said, it's gorgeously done. These are all one take live to four track. Um, this is just a, a wonderful musician uh, singing his heart out and very tragically um, near the end, right? Nick Drake never toured. Nick Drake never played in America. So there aren't live bootlegs. There aren't BBC recordings. There isn't footage. And so um, he's, he never had a chance to be re rediscovered. Uh, but if you haven't heard Pink Moon, everybody, um, uh, go to Spotify and check it out. Here is Which Will. Pink Moon by Nick Drake. hard it is to uh play and sing that well in a recording studio with no effects there's yeah. no reverb on that voice it's dry as a bone just the guitar him, is him single, and the guitar single mic acoustic guitar like uh, you know audio tape will reveal what a crappy player you are in a millisecond and uh the <laughs> fact that that recording is live to to uh four track with so little process and so little production on it is really something else. And I just find myself, every time I put Pink Moon on, I'm like, I get completely lost in it. I get drawn in. And for me, it plays as one long song. Like, it's 10 songs. It's 28 minutes. But, like, I, I almost yeah. never, almost never turn it off. Like, I put it on, and it's put over the whole before thing I off. know it. I'm on the last song, like, and it feels like it's been two seconds. So, you know? to, to a guitarist, yeah, Joni Mitchell, last week, you talked about how she her guitar playing is so innovative and the tuning, right? Is he doing similar things? He is doing similar things. I think he's, I mean, I, I credit Joni. I imagine that Nick, I mean, obviously Nick Drake's listening to Joni Mitchell and, and, uh -huh. uh, um, and I don't think his playing is at the same level of uh, jaw drop 
innovation that Joni's is. Okay. But it's similar. Like it's a guy learning how to make guitar and voice not sound like Dylan, not just right. strumming, not just strumming <laughs> open chords. Everybody's and, uh, goal. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's doing something different. So really I love this great. Record. I love. This I love. Record. I love Pink Moon, uh, and that's a that's a song that Spotify continually recommends to me. It's Jeff, worth, is that the one that's the most played song you think? What's the most played song off this record? Yeah, Pink Moon, because yeah. it was in the Volkswagen Cabriolet commercial. Like that actually changed Nick Drake's whole thing. It was the huh. when the Volkswagen put out that red Cabriolet convertible, there was the ad of the people driving around late at night looking at the stars and Pink Moon was the background. And and Nick Drake's that was it. Like the Nick Drake estate saw a five thousand percent increase in sales and uh Wow. There was, the whole thing, like the whole rediscovery happened. It's like late nineties, like okay. his whole, everything went back into print. And now he's, uh, I think his Spotify numbers are actually pretty robust considering Ooh. he sold, this record sold fewer than 10,000 copies upon release. It sold 6,400 copies and what? went out of print. So our podcast is doing better, right? Pink Moon's been listened to 102 million times on Spotify. The next song is okay. less than 40. All right, so he's got us there. Wow, that's terrific. Well, good stuff. Ben, you a fan? This is a record that Jeff recommended to me around the same time as the David Gray record that I found um, overly sad as mm. a younger person. And um, I'm going to re-listen to it. Like, I think I'm wrong. I think younger Ben was wrong. I, I was powerfully moved by what I just heard. So I'm definitely going to go back and listen to it. Oh, that's crazy. It's not just uh, audience members we're reaching out to. It's each other. Oh, this is great. All right. Let's get to me. Uh, you guys both did well, um, but you came up short this week because I actually have the best album of 1972. It is Talking Book by Stevie Wonder. That's a great could, one. Could yes. you start us, start us grooving Jeff Simons with superstition and that guitar lick he's got going? Talking Book by Stevie Wonder. Not a guitar. What? It's a clavinet. There's no guitar on this track. A clavicle? Clavinet. <laughs> What's a clavinet? Clavinet's an electric piano. It's a very specific uh, sound. It's That's like a, outstanding. There's no, there's no guitar on that track at all. But then Stevie Ray Vaughan is going to make it a guitar. about to say, you're thinking track. of the SRV song. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's exactly it. It so, translates. It was supposed to be. Like, he wrote it for Jeff Beck. Do you know the story, Ben? No, tell like, me. Stevie Wonder wrote this song for Jeff Beck to use as a single, as a favor. Like, they were friends. And then he recorded it. And Jeff heard it. It's like, oh, my God, Stevie... I'm so happy. I'm going to make a zillion dollars. It's the greatest song I ever heard. And Steve was like, you know what? I just told my manager and he won't let me give it to you. He's like, you got to give me this song. So like Stevie ended up taking it back and having oh. a great hit. Jeff Beck for like the rest of his career was like, yeah, that was the moment when I went from big star oh, to cult artist because Stevie took a song back. That's, that's First of all, rough. when he fired Rod Stewart is when he went to cult Yeah, I know. I know. He can blame himself. No doubt. <laughs> 
Well, I remember I was in grad school and uh, and I was getting out in uh, Boston and I went and saw a funk band at Bill's Bar on Lansdowne Street in 1995, I guess it was. And I actually, I was so impressed with them, loved them so much that I I've actually bought their little self-produced album, uh, brought it home and I played it for my African-American friend down the hall in the dorm later that night. I'm like, check these guys out, a bunch of white guys, but you're not going to believe how they can play funk. And it was uh, the second track, Jeff Simons, that they had covered. Go ahead and play a little bit for us. Maybe your baby? Yeah. Uh. record with a seven minute track too by the way yeah the best um and i played that oh, when it, it, oh. it's seven minutes and it's too short yeah, yeah. when it ends you're like oh I know. <laughs> more like that yeah totally agree so <laughs> i i played this um this i guess it was an ep by this white band that i'd heard at bill's bar for my african-american friend and she just stared at me i'm like aren't they great isn't this a great song She's she's like that that's Stevie Wonder. I'm like what? She's like they stole Stevie Wonder's song. I'm like, no, I don't think so. They they would have mentioned that, but uh, <laughs> that's that's when Young Tim uh, learned about appropriation. And right. uh, I'm sure they would have mentioned it. It's a great footnote for American history. <laughs> yeah, no, sadly no, sadly mentioned not so much. Not so much. Uh, uh, but I went out and bought Stevie Stevie Wonder's talking book. I think you, Jeff, bought me uh, Songs in the Key of Life. Uh, I've got one more. Oh, um, first filling. Fulfilling. fulfilling this first finale. Yeah, that's, that's the a one. great one, too. Yeah, I think uh, you bought me that one as well. So I think I actually own as much Stevie Wonder as any other band. Or, or No, I, I probably own more Bruce and sadly Ben, more Van Morrison. But Stevie Wonder, he's the bomb. Dude, and you're right smack in the, I'll let Jeff wax rough Sonic, but you're right smack in the middle of it. I mean, this run yeah. is just off the hook. Right. Every song on every record from 70, it's 70 is the first one, Jeff, or is it 71? 71, Music of My Mind in 71. Yeah, Music yeah. on My Mind through Songs in the Key of Life. The, the first thing is Songs in the Key of Life, when I, that was the first one I bought. And I was like, damn it. 
I bought a greatest hits record. I, yeah. I, meant get, I, I, I meant to get the stupid Stevie Wonder record. And then I was, and there's actually a, a 77 greatest hits record. And I was yeah, like, yeah. Oh, I didn't buy a greatest hits record. It's yeah. just literally every, <laughs> every song, song is a hit. Yeah. We, we've just, I've said that about other records, but I mean, I actually like, there is not a song on that record <laughs> that you haven't heard on the radio and that you consider to be a hit. Yeah. It's fan fantastic yeah one of the records are like that all of the tracks i mean if you considered it a single work of art from the beginning to the end it's just a just remarkable jaw dropping shocking and the, the the fucking waterfront that this guy covers yeah like, uh the, so this record's got starts out with a like a really loopy ballad right it's yeah you are the sunshine, sunshine of my life right yeah, yeah. which and is cool. Closes with one of the all-time rock songs with I Believe When I Fall in Love. It's unbelievable. It's got Big Brother. Yeah, which I love. Right. And my my, Some Days is the best song on the record, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. No, you you said it all. Like, if this isn't the greatest hot streak, like, you can make an argument that um, Beggars Through Exile is the great hot streak. Like, and you could make, and maybe a couple other bands. Like, I think the first four Elvis Costello records no luck with that but what's the beatles run you take the beatles yeah maybe what rubber soul through uh sergeant pepper i mean i you know i you could go through i mean you could go through abbey road if you want to be generous about it yeah I mean, but i mean this one's as good as those i mean oh, music of oh, my mind yes, talking about sure. inner visions fulfilling this songs of the key of life like you'd be hard pressed to pick any random song from any of those records <laughs> put it on and not be like that's pretty good <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's, no, really, sure. it's incredible <laughs> And uh, like in comparison to those other records, the diversity in the material yeah. is just crazy. I also love uh, Superstitious, a great one. Um, I really, really, really like his restrained tempo. Yeah, man. For, like the, I, I'm a James Brown guy, so I prefer yeah. the speed, the sped up version of funk. I prefer to really, really, really bop my head while I go along. So it actually took me a minute to get into the pocket with Stevie. Uh-huh. But, I mean, once you get into it, once you start feeling it, you're like, oh, yeah. I know what he's doing. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's got the bit in the mouth and he's got the horse just, he's just pulling back. Yeah, man. It's so true. So, covering, so strong. Covering Stevie Wonder, the, the, the real trick is to play slow. You think superstition is faster than it is. And actually, Stevie Ray Vaughan's version totally. is faster. Yeah, yeah and it it's is. time and a half. He does it at time and yeah, a half. And it's, and it's great, but it's not as good because it doesn't have that. Like Boogie on Reggae Woman is so much slower than you think it is. Right. And it, it, but it's just so fantastic, you know? Yeah. I'd actually be super curious what his thinking was on that. Like, it's just a really interesting choice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know. It might be just the way he plays drums because he plays drums like a guy who wasn't trained on the drum kit. And so that he's locked into a particular speed. And uh, is he playing every instrument on this record? He's uh, on most of these records, he is 95% of the instruments. He's every, he's everybody on superstition for sure. He brings in horn players. He brings okay. in electric guitar players on songs in the key of life. But uh, that's remarkable. Um, yeah. No. Mozart level. Super genius. funny. I mean, most most untra- I'm, I'm an untrained drummer and I always play too fast. Don't you play too fast, Jeff? Oh, totally. I mean, I would imagine that since he's an untrained drummer, he would just be like, well, I don't know why I'm not going double time. Yeah, <laughs> no, let's go. But I mean, cool. he's really like, it's actually, it's even more impressive that he would do that. Like whatever his set, his sense of tempo for this material and his version of that funk set, that funk soul sound is just, just incredible. Yeah. So good. Great call. All right. I'm excited. You might I'm actually excited. be right this week. 
All right, there you go. Uh Well, actually, I was—I knew you were going to pick a Stevie Wonder. I was curious which one you were going to choose. The thing that's super funny about it is again, this is how great these records are. Uh Chosen the one from next year, I would have been like, "God damn, Timmy, way to go!" Yeah, (laughs) I know, right? For the next five years, you can win with Stevie Wonder record. Yeah, I think Ben. I might lose you next week. So prepare yourself. Well, you've you, been on, on fire. The last two yeah, weeks thanks. have been very strong. So I'll yeah, get you've a free, earned, you've I'll earned, get a, free you've earned pass. a Tim pick for sure. That's right. <laughs> and I would like uh, for next week's podcast, all our listeners who uh, who, are, who are just awesome coming back like the way you have for uh, season two, uh, our numbers are up, fellas. So this is great. Timmy, the marketing um, department is killing it, yeah, baby. Just cranking it, cranking out material. They need to give but, us guys a race. For next week, I want uh, all the uh, listeners to think of the album covers that are, are just etched into their minds, whether you find them personally compelling or there was some other aspect like they're part of a uh, part of the cultural consciousness of, of the music fan. Like, what are the album covers? And I'm not thinking like Slippery When Wet. Thank you, Bon Jovi. Uh, something a little more. Hold on, I have to change my list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is that the wet um, uh, road sign? Yeah. Album cover? Yeah. That's yeah. A bad well, one. I think they originally had something else. Anyways, uh, think about album cover. Top, top three most memorable album covers in your brains. Uh, Jeff and Ben, you are that's your homework for next week to bring, um, uh, bring a description of those album covers. Do you already have something in mind? Yeah. Well, of course, because you're supposed to do it today. I, well, no, I, I would say, but I mean, like, I, I had a couple that jumped immediately to mind, so oh, I'm, I'm not going to over, I'm not going to overthink it, you know. And I can't wait to uh, share with you mine. I'll give you a hint. You want me to give you a hint? It's my album for next year. Oh, it's also your album cover. Yeah. Well, good. Right. Then it's probably not "Hard Nose the Highway" by Van Morrison, which is my big fear. You're going to pick that. <laughs> record is snow and sand and summer on it (laughs) that is not it all right gentlemen good times well done my brother we'll see you in 1973 later hey if you're having as much fun as we are leave us a review on itunes give us a rating on spotify iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Welcome to Tuning In To Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. 
Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric Acid.